Welcome to the Untribal Podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. We're recording today after probably one of the most monumental days in Scottish politics, certainly in recent history. First Minister Nicola Sturgeon is to resign in her role. She'll continue on in politics. She said a few weeks ago she's still got plenty left in the tank, but she talked about the need to give every ounce of yourself when doing this job and the physical and mental demands have started to take its toll. Before we go on to speak to our main guest today, Neil Bibby, have a listen to our public affairs consultant, Kyle Thompson, who spoke to us earlier on. Well, I mean, the obvious one is complete surprise. I think um, the announcement this morning has obviously come not completely out of nowhere, but it's obviously taken everyone very much by surprise. But I think um, the kind of main thing, if you look at the bigger picture and you look at what's been kind of going on over the last six, seven months, and especially in the in the last two months, January and December, it's been difficult for the SNP and difficult for Nicola especially. I think if you if you add all of that up, you can understand, especially when she's talking about the fatigue and the brutality, the intensity of being in that sort of uh, prominent political role. You can see how it can wear somebody down even as strong as Nicola. So I think it, it, it goes on two sides. There's definitely surprise, but then there's definitely, it makes, it makes sense in some senses too. So in terms of what you're saying about making sense, I mean, the eight billboards that went up yesterday that said hashtag resign surgeon, there's no doubt that uh, Twitter trolls have certainly been on our back for the last three or four years. It's definitely been hyped up over the last, last few years as well. When you say it makes sense, what do, you, what do you exactly mean by that? Well, first thing I'd say, I'd say the trolls have been out for, for eight years, probably not just last, <laughs> last four. And I don't, I don't think that's justified in that as well. But I mean, I... It, it, from the from the angle of it making sense, I think it, it, if you you don't if you don't look at the the long term of the SNP, let's let's look more specifically since the twenty twenty one elections, right? And I think in the summer, like the fairy fiasco of Karl Marx, been a, obviously a very difficult moment of public procurement, public contracts being poorly administered by the SNP. It seems to be an issue that keeps cropping up over the years of the public finances aren't handled as well as they should be. And for obviously a party that wants to wants an independent state in Scotland, that's that's a big issue because I mean finances will be at the heart of whether Scotland prospers or not. And I think if you move forward from that, obviously that's still ongoing and the, the inquiries and stuff in December weren't helpful. But if you look if you look to the party conference, I think there was a feeling around that that not that the party was at a crossroads, but the party was needing some sort of catalyst to get the independence debate strong again. I mean, I think feels like a far cry from the independence marches that we saw in, in 2018, 2019, when, they, when the cause was really there. And you, I think then you could have argued there probably was a majority. I mean, granted, polling might have not showed that, but there was definitely a feeling it was in a stronger position then than it is now. And then I feel like, obviously, in the months since then, um, I mean, the, the controversial gender reform bill, the um, some of the public discourse around that, it's not where Nicola wanted to be. Um, I mean, granted, I, I believe that her and her front bench are, are strongly for the bill in its current form, but there was an issue with, I mean, she talked about rational approaches to debate, and I think there was a feeling on both sides that there wasn't a rational approach to debate on that. And I think in those terms, it's it's put Nicola in a diff- difficult spot. And I mean, she's talked about the brutality, intensity of being this leading public figure in Scotland, and I think these issues have especially brought light to that and it's definitely brought a new focus onto it. Mm-hmm. But I think obviously moving on a little bit from that, it's the issues around the party's finances seem to be a problem too. I mean, it was the Herald only only three, two, two, three days ago were reporting that there was um, further inquiries as the police deepen their investigation into the party's um, fundraising. And I think when you look ahead, especially in the next month, so is it March 19th or 17th is the, the Independence Strategy Conference? I don't know if it's even called that now. It might be the Democracy Conference. <laughs> um, but but it, it's interesting because there's a lot of questions swirling around about the party's finances, the country's finances. And then there's this conference next month and you're sitting there wondering, is the turnout for that looking quite so good as they were thinking? Mm. And I think all these issues have kind of culminated to a head. And that's why it kind of makes sense that Nicola has pulled the plug. Maybe not pulled the plug today, but it, 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 you can see why she maybe would think that some people would think it's coming around the bend. Mm. I, I mean, in terms of parties' finances, there's always been speculation surrounding that. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not 
I'm pretty sure that that isn't the first allegation of some misdemeanor in terms of the SNP's finances. Do you think the the gender question is the really pressing one that's that's tipped her over the edge? Because that is a conversation that really only is, in terms of the public debate, and it has only really come to the surface over the past few months. You know, the politicians have claimed that they've been debating it for six years, but really, it's as a society, we've only really been debating it for a few years. And do you think the backlash, especially from women, especially as someone who's campaigned all her life for sort of women's rights and women's equality, do you think that especially has is, is taken its toll? I mean, it'll undoubtedly have taken its toll. Do I think it's the straw that broke the camel's back? Probably not. Um, I don't. I don't think the, um, the sort of discourse around it would have been a resignation matter. I mean, the polling this week obviously was suggesting that half of Scots agree with uh, the UK government on blocking the bill. I don't think that's necessarily a huge issue for the SNP or Nicola herself. What I do think is the issues are. So, I mean, we had the, like Minister Ash Reagan. She uh, she quit from her ministerial role. She was obviously quite against the bill. I think some of the internal whipping around the bill was a bit poor. And then I think also the fact that Dr. Lisa Cameron, one of the um, MPs down south, she obviously went behind Nicola's back and wrote to Alistair Jack and said she had deep concerns about the bill. So I think in a political sense, some of the stuff from her own party and her own political figures there, like as I just mentioned, that's quite bad. Whereas I don't think the public discourse around it's reached an elevated point where you're going, she has to go. Okay. And I think there was also ample opportunity in the months and years ahead for that bill to be amended in such a manner that it may well be granted by the UK government and and be more appreciated by the wider sort of political environment in Scotland. So I, I, to me, that doesn't seem like the resignation matter. Um, do I believe that she's been toying with this for some time? Quite possibly. But to go back to the party finances, and if there's more to come out about this, which I, I, I don't know if there is, but if there is, that could be an element where there could be a resignation matter involved. I mean, it's easy to forget that her own husband is very involved within the party as well. So I, I think it, it, it's any man's guess what the real reason is. Yeah. But I do think there will be a real root cause of why she's gone. It's not just gone because she's run out of fuel, she's run out of gas. It's not that. Well, Joanna Cherry tweeted today saying that the party needs to move forward with open democracy. Do you think there's... Um a sense of authoritarianism within Sturgeon's reign that, and she was perhaps starting to slightly just lose her grip on that in the SNP? I mean, definitely. I mean, I think the SNP has always, well, definitely under Nicola's tenure, there's always been an issue of, if you don't necessarily agree with the party line, then that can cause quite an issue. And I mean, Joanna Cherry, as you just mentioned, is a very interesting character in that respect. I mean, she didn't tag the party line on the gender reform bill and she's had a very difficult time within the party. Um, and I think I think in that sense, there's, there's definitely some truth in it, that if you didn't tell the party line, you'd find it difficult to progress within the SNP. But I think because of all of Nicola's good traits and the way that she is a great political operator, I think for a lot of people, and it's quite important to bear in mind that the SNP has got a lot of new members in recent years and the wave after 2015, like a lot of people that are involved in the party weren't necessarily involved when the SNP were in opposition. Which presents a, it presents a big problem going forward, obviously. But I think it also means that there's there's less chance of people disagreeing with the upper echelons of the party. And I think Nicola has really shown that the circle that she keeps in the inner circle is a very loyal and tight circle. And I think on that kind of note, that's that's why I find it fascinating when when Blackford was ousted really from his position. I mean, I think it was well well documented that most of the front bench there. Your Stuart McDonald's of the world, your your Ian Blackfords, they were they were very loyal to Nicola, and Stephen Flynn, on the other hand, he, he granted he is loyal, but he's he's nowhere near the kind of the kind of um, right hand person that you'd need down there as say like Angus Robertson was in two thousand and seven to twenty seventeen. And do you think this is? Uh, it's funny mentioning Blackford because I was going to suggest that because there is a bit of stagnation in the polls for independence. You know, to be fair to her, she did have, she has had a couple of spells where there has been consecutive polls in favour for independence. They've not been overwhelming by any stretch. I don't think any has reached as high as 60%. Do you think that stagnation in percentages, they've sort of looked to Blackford and Nicola and went, perhaps we do need a change in leadership. Perhaps we do need a fresh vision for independence. No, I think absolutely. Um, and I think in that sense... And, and I, this is no real fault of Nicola and um, her kind of inner circles. It's not their it's not their doing. It's just more that 
you run out of road eventually with these kind of ideas, especially for independence. And there's not really been any innovative thinking about how they can tackle it now. And especially not a long roadmap. It's always been about, and this has been particularly noticeable since Brexit, it's always been about the short term and how we can get this independence referendum as quickly and as smoothly as possible. And I think in that kind of sense, with with the Conservative government being pretty pre-cemented in their view that they're simply not going to give one, certainly not until the next general election or then after that, I think there really needed to be an evolution within the SNP and part of that was Blackford going. And then I think on the second leg of that now, with Nicola resigning, is probably related to her stance around the de facto refer- referendum. Mm. I mean, I, I, I've talked about that there might be one big root cause, and there may well be, and I think like the, the excitable, excitable person in me wants to hope that there's some controversial reason she's gone. Most <laughs> of the time, politics, unless it's the Conservative government at the moment, it doesn't tend to go that way. It may well just be a huge combination of issues, and the de facto referendum isn't widely supported by the Scottish electorate. It's not widely supported within the actual party. And it presents a huge political risk because if it fails in the next general election, you potentially go back to even pre-2014 kind of levels. And that is certainly not where Nicola would want to leave her legacy, you know. It's in terms of the freshness of argument, you know, the, the it's it's always been centered around democracy and Scotland not getting its right to choose its own future and getting these conservative governments that they didn't vote for, right? And this argument was as strong as ever when the UK voted for Brexit, right? Because we'd been promised our EU membership by the No campaign in 2014. Um, not a parliamentary term later, we're now getting taken out the EU against their will, certainly 66% of us or whatever it was. What we haven't talked about is in that wave, and also during COVID, when Nicola was looking far stronger, a leader at, as Boris Johnson was for a while, Pre to the debacle with Alex Salmon, there was, I, th- I think there was something like 20 consecutive polls su- uh, showing support for independence. That's something we haven't mentioned. Jake, that's been detrimental as well. What do you mean? Just the, her success almost catch, and catching I, up with her? Yeah, because I, I think personally, I think her, since that moment, her demeanor has changed. She's not looked as confident. She's not had that. I don't, there's been something about her in FNQs that hasn't seemed as, as robust. She seems fidgety at times she's she's stuttering her at times and it's just a shadow of her oneself do, do you not think since then it's been a, a slow decline yeah a slow decline is a good way of putting it because i think i mean especially post-covid and, and you can't blame her for that i think i think covid itself took a really heavy toll on nicola and i yeah, think of course yeah she put every kind of ounce into her being into being that that great administrator that she was then and and, and it, compared to the, the malarkey we were seeing from Boris Johnson, she did absolutely everything kind of right there. I mean, not absolutely everything. I mean, there was mistakes along the way, obviously. I mean, I remember when she wore a mask indoors, but even the public reaction to that showed how much support she really had because they could kind of feel the ridiculousness of people trying to catch her out. And I think, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's maybe not her own success catching up with her, but I think I would probably put that down to just the fatigue after COVID of how much work she must have been doing around the clock then. I think it'd be really hard to come out of that kind of, that 18-month, two-year period and match the same energy that you had either then or beforehand. Because, I mean, I mean, we've all felt it ourselves. We've all, we all lived through that and we've all come out slightly different from the other side, no doubt. Mm. So I think, I think in that sense, I'd probably say that's more down to COVID more than anything. Absolutely. Well, Kyle Thompson, Public Affairs Consultant, thanks very much. Before you go, Kyle, who do you fancy for the next leader? Who do I fancy? Who do I think? Um, I think it will probably be Angus Robertson. Okay. Who would I like? It's a difficult one. I mean, it definitely won't be him, but I really like Stuart McDonald. So, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Right. Cheers, Kyle. Thank you. Cheers, Bye bye. Certainly food for thought there. How influential were the SNP's finances in this decision? Is there something more pressing going on with this resignation? Our main guest is Labour Party's business manager and transport spokesperson. Stops on his journey have called at the University of Glasgow, Renfrewshire Council and now the Scottish Parliament. A man who will be very familiar with the First Minister and her government. Let's hear from Neil Bibby, who was joined with this afternoon. Well, firstly, it's a it's a huge moment in Scottish politics. It's a huge moment for Nicola Sturgeon herself. Um, she said, you know, first of all, that she's been she's a human being, and all politicians are human beings. And I think it's firstly to recognise, you know, the the 
the tools of office that you know she said that had on her and her family. Um, she's been a politician in the Scottish Parliament since you know 1999. Um, I was the at school in 1999, so she's been a figure, a figure of Scottish politics for major figure in Scottish politics for for many many years. Obviously in government for 16 years, and as first minister for over eight and a half years. So I think you know, obviously, I have to recognise that long-standing service um, to to our party um, and also um, to the country in her time as first minister. Obviously, clearly during the COVID pandemic in particular, that's taken a, a toll on her. Um, you know, she she's a gifted politician and a skilled campaigner, and a, you know, as a political opponent, I, you know, I, I respect her abilities and that. But but wider than that, obviously, it's a big a big moment, a big figure leaving the stage. I I do think also it is a you know it's, it will be a blow for the for the SNP losing um such a such a big figure. Obviously, there will be a period of time to reflect on you know, our, our time in office and our record, but I think obviously, you know, want to recognise the contribution she's had today, um, but over over the coming weeks and months, obviously, I think there'll be more discourse about not just the First Minister's record in office, but also um, about the about our party's record in office. Um, you know, clearly the SNP are at a crossroads. We have a special conference coming up. They, they've got a choice to make as to who their next leader is going to be. They've got a choice to make as to what direction they're going in terms of independence. It does seem there's, you know, obviously a differences of opinion within the party and the best way to approach that. Opinion polls, you know, have not been uh, heading in the right direction as far as they're concerned. And also, I think, a sense that more and more people are, you know, um, concerned about the government's record when it comes to public services and, and the need for change in our communities um, right across Scotland. And in all these weeks building up to... You know, Neil Bibby being on the Untribal podcast, she's stolen your thunder. What 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 awful timing, Neil. But thank you very much for coming on today. Do, do you think you said it was a blow to the SNP? Do you think that this blows the next election wide open for parties like Labour to potentially grasp power again in Scotland? Well, I think as I said, <clears throat> I think the SNP have obviously got a big choice to make as to who their leader is. They've got to kind of work out what their approach is going to be. But the people of Scotland also face a choice. Uh, people of Scotland are, are, you know, crying out for change, economic, social change, um, and I think you know we it will be our job to, you know, put on offer our our ideas, um, our, and and I think people in Scotland are looking for new ideas, um, we'll put forward our, our policy proposals, um, that can bring change for for people in Scotland. So I I think, um, you know, I think the next election is um likely to be the general election, um, you know, there's a ch- opportunity to get rid of the Conservative government. And get a Labour government in there um, that can make positive changes, whether that be introducing policies such as ending non-dom status to help fund our NHS, um, you know, proper taxes on uh, windfall taxes on the energy companies to help with the cost of living. Um, and I think those are the positive new ideas that we'll be putting forward um, that we think you know will resonate with people in Scotland. So well, whilst you know the SNP have got a decision to make as to how they're going, we are very much focused on putting forward their perspective and giving people in Scotland that choice of a new direction. And speaking of Conservatives, Douglas Ross was let's say he was pretty ruthless today on Twitter actually. He essentially said, look, we know the job's hard, but let's not shy away from the fact that you've pretty much divided our country and left our public services in a mess. What, what do you think of those remarks? Do you think that was harsh or do you agree with them at all? I think, look, I, you know, first of all, I, I want to, you know, in the, you know, it's only been a matter of of hours since the, uh, Nicola Sturgeon said she was standing down. I think it's fair to recognise the contribution she's made, the toll it's had on her personally. Um, I think that's and recognise she's been a gifted politician, a skilled politician. I, I do think there is, you know, obviously, um, you know, growing concern about the SNP's handling of public services. Um, I, I think that's been an issue. That's been an issue over the, you know, the last sixteen years of the SNP, um, over promising and undelivering. Um, but I think it's fair to recognise the contribution that the first minister's, you know, made and and her long-standing service, but also, you know, pointing out where the, where the government has failed and and you know going forward, that's a record that our, whoever our successor is is going to be is going to have to uh, take forward as well. So, you know, very much. Um, you know, I think I think we the country is looking for change. The country is looking for new ideas and new ways of working, and that's what we'll you know be focusing on, uh, putting forward to the people of Scotland. And a lot of what we would have been discussing today, anyway, Neil, is today is still relevant. We can look at it in the context of 
you know, Sturgeon's reign as First Minister, what you would like to see being done differently in the new era of the SNP, or indeed perhaps uh, a, a new Labour government at the next general election, should should that come? And obviously you're, you're Paisley born, is that correct? You're, you're from, yeah. from Paisley, grew up in Paisley. Um, and it's fair to say there's a bit of a drug problem in Paisley. There's a bit of a drug problem in Glasgow more generally. So that's an issue quite close to you. What, what would you have liked to have seen differently in the Sturgeon year because that's something that's popped up quite a lot today to say uh, for all the good work that she's done her record on drugs deaths is pretty poor as well yes um um I, you know I was born in Paisley I grew up, grew up in Renfrewshire um and um you know we we see the terrible outcomes when it comes to drug deaths every you know every single death is a is a tragedy um drugs are ha- have a devastating impact on individuals on families and on communities um, you know, we need to take an evidence-based approach in terms of how we tackle that. I also think very much we we do need to take a cross-party approach because there are long-standing issues with drug, um, you know, misuse um, and deaths in Scotland. But clearly, that has got worse over recent years. Um, we do need to work together across parties. I think, though, you know, we have seen cuts to you know, um, you know, levels of treatment and and over the last few years. And the government itself, Nicola Sturgeon herself, said the government had taken the eye off the ball in terms of drugs there. So I think I think you know we, we're right to you know it's right to be pointed out the government has not you know been doing enough has has neglected this issue. Um, but I do think that we do need to work cross party, um, you know, to try and tackle it. And that's about you know education. It's about um, ensuring people get the right treatment and support, and also that you know the police are getting the. Uh, resources they need to, to tackle the scourge of of dealing and the trading, um as well. So, um, the, you know, there's much more that we need to do. It's certainly an issue that has, um, sadly, got worse over that. I, you know, I take no joy at all in saying that it's, it's absolutely tragic what's happened, and we need to uh, work cross party, uh, and the government needs to do more to tackle the issue as well. We talked about working cross party. So Mary Black was on here last month and saying it's it's all fine and well saying. Uh, criticizing the government for the drugs po- uh, drugs uh, record, sorry, but the drugs as an as issue is reserved to Westminster. And if we're going to make it like drastic changes, like decriminalize some drugs and make it a social issue, we'd have to bring that into the power of the Scottish Parliament. And uh, Alex Cole Hamilton was on here a few months ago as well, who said, I'd be quite comfortable with drugs coming into the remit of the Scottish Parliament. What What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think... I mean, I don't think there's one, there is not one single solution to the drugs crisis. Um, there's a multitude of things that we need to do. Um, at the end of the day, we have the same laws in Scotland as the rest of the UK, but we have worst outcomes. So I'm very wary of suggesting, you know, legal changes or just devolving, um, you know, powers is somehow going to, you know, make the make matters fundamentally better because something bigger is you know, is, is going wrong here. Um, you know, I mentioned education, treatment support, um, you know, uh, before. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not close, you know, I'm not close-minded to, to, to wider reform, but I do think we need to look at things um, in the round. I also think we need to acknowledge the very real link between, you know, drugs and poverty and economic decline and deindustrialization, which we see in communities um like Paisley and, and throughout the west of Scotland. You know, and, and, and it's part of a wider health inequalities problem as well. During the COVID pandemic, sadly, the West of Scotland and Renfrewshire recorded some of the highest COVID deaths anywhere um in, in Scotland in the UK. So there's something bigger going, you know, wrong here. Um we do need to ensure that people get the right support that they need, but also we need to tackle the underlying causes around poverty and inequality. We've had the UK government you know, talking about the levelling up agenda. Um, you know, they, they've obviously talked about that a lot, but we haven't seen the investment in communities like Paisley. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of, we've suffered from deindustrialization. We're seeing more and more, you know, shops, for example, coming out of the town centre. You know, we need to give people security in their lives. That's about having, you know, well-paid jobs, um, secure jobs, also decent homes where people can live in. So I think I th- there is not one, single solution to the drugs crisis i think we need to look at things in the round and also look at the you know the wider the wider causes for it as well so you're the shadow transport uh minister right for for labor yes in the, in the scottish parliament what would you have liked to have uh what would you like to have seen done differently uh during surgeon's reign in terms of the transport um issues in scotland well i think um you know 
first of all, for, for me, public transport should be a public service and we want to have a public transport system that's affordable, accessible, reliable, um, one that help, can help working people to get on and to get by. Um, you know, we have seen, um, you know, ScotRail come into public ownership. That's been a long-standing, uh, you know, campaign from Scottish Labour and the rail unions, and we've worked very closely on that. So it was, you know, pleasing to see that ScotRail has come into public ownership. However, that's, you know, unfortunately, we've seen, you know, since ScotRail's come into public ownership, services being cut and fares continuing to rise. So I think we need to see, if we want to tackle issues like the climate crisis, we need to and, and, and help people you know, move out of the cars onto public transport. We do need that public transport system to be um, you know, more responsive to people's needs and more accessible. So I think, yes, while it's acknowledging the positives of ScotRail coming into public ownership, there has been a reduction in services. I also think there's a, a major issue around buses and um, you know, taking control, public control of bus services in Scotland. We've seen bus routes being axed. We've seen um, you know, a decline in passenger numbers using our buses. Um, now, whilst, you know, there's been action, for example, you know, um, to deliver uh, free bus travel for young people under the age of 22, not every young person has got access to that yet. There's been huge issues with uh, rolling that out. So I think um, that, that process could have been simplified. But there is an issue now, I think, about the level of bus fares uh, that people, in, in particularly in Greater Glasgow, are, uh, are facing. Um, where you know you get charged two pounds sixty five for a two mile journey. Um, now, if you look at the act, look at just across in Edinburgh, um, where the council run the buses, Lothian's run the buses, um, they've got the best bus services in Scotland, um, where it's only one pounds eighty. But even now in places like Manchester, where the Mayor Andy Burnham's introduced a cap of two pounds um, by taking the buses back into public control, um, and in Liverpool and in West Yorkshire as well. I think there's been a real missed opportunity to, you know, tackle the the broken bus market. If we want to get more people, you know, back back onto public transport, we need to make it more affordable, more accessible, more reliable. That's about making it cheaper, but also about taking public control so that we can provide the bus routes that people want when they want them and where they want them. So uh, you've, I mean, you've mentioned taking public control, um, but ultimately all these schemes cost money, right? And one thing that uh, Sturgeon often done in FMQs was say, look, Labour are very good at pointing out criticisms of the way government are doing things, but they're not good at uh, providing solutions of how we are better spending the money that they are given. So stuff like transport just now, like improving ScotRail or the, the duelling of the A9 roads, she always asked, where would you take this money from? Because one thing that Sturgeon did under a reign, like give free prescriptions or free tuition fees and stuff like that. That was on a fixed budget from Westminster. She didn't have the full fiscal autonomy to raise taxes and uh, tackle it like the UK would, for example. And we've seen monumental increases in things like spend like on act climate action, for example. Where where would this money come from, or where do you think the money has been misspent under Sturgeon's reign? Well, I think there's um. You know, we've we've highlighted a number of areas where the, where the government has you know wasted money, the amount of money that's you know um you know for example wasting things like delayed discharge in our NHS. We've got people in hospital that should be out and about you know and they look at, being looked after in the community. Um, you know, we've heard you know I've got a fixed budget, but it seems to be elastic enough to spend up you know 150 million pounds. It's not necessary on 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 two ferries, um that are still to set sail, um. You know, there's there's lots of examples where the government have 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 wasted money, um, and you know they need to spend their money more more wisely. Um, I think, and in, in addition to that, obviously, you know, we, we, as a UK um Labour Party, we are putting forward proposals at the next you know general election that will you know to tax end the tax non-dom tax status as I mentioned earlier, and also have a proper windfall tax on on the energy companies to provide. Uh, more resources, both at a UK level and at a, and a Scottish government level as well. But in relation to the specific points, I mean, you mentioned the A9. Of course, the Scottish government committed to doing that, so you know they should be um, delivering on their promises in in that regard. Um, money should already be, um, you know, allocated for that. Um, and in relation to the 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 bus reforms, um, I think you know there's there's still substantial profits being made by private bus companies. And in actual fact, what I'm suggesting doesn't you know, by capping bus fares and actually taking public control of the buses. Um, yes, there'll be initial outlays in terms of that, but actually in the longer term, um, it can be it can be affordable. And in relation to things like rail fares, 
you know, one of the things we've called for them is is to trial, um, you know, reductions in fares, because um, there's been studies in, in other European countries, like Germany's done a nine euro ticket. Uh, other countries have done other um, measures as well about reducing fares to actually get more people, you know, using public transport and actually bringing in extra revenue. Now, again, that might come, uh, there might be some cost to that, but ultimately in the long term, it will be, you know, it's worth the it's worth the investment. So, but you know, I think I think we need to look at those policies and trial those policies, um, to try and get more people using public transport. So it doesn't necessarily need to cost significant sums of money to make a to make a difference to these particular areas and others. See, when I look at Sturgeon's SNP and and Labour, it's speaking ideologically. I don't see that they're that dissimilar. Uh, honestly, it's, I, I think there are in similar spaces on the ideological spectrum, right? Where do you think Labour have differed from the SNP in the in the past eight years of, of Sturgeon being First Minister? And why why are they so critical of each other? Well, I mean, it's it's um obviously it's it's our it's our job to set out our own, you know, vision of the future and our, our, our vision that we want to take the country forward. And it's our also job to hold the, the SNP government to account. And I think um, you know, you know the SNP under Nicola Sturgeon even before have promised a lot and 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 not delivered and it's right to point out where the government you know has failed. Um, you know, there's been you know we've got one in seven Scots on NHS waiting lists. Um, we've got you know we've had a lot of promises about tackling the educational attainment gap, but we've actually you know um, we've got the teachers out and you know strike at the moment. We've got um, you know failure to kind of. Um, deliver you know in areas like public transport I've mentioned before so you know we want to we want to make sure that we've got a um, you know a country that's delivering the change that Scotland needs that we're um, you know creating opportunities for young people that we're delivering um, the you know the education that they need and also that we're um, ensuring that our public services in a good place as well as well as growing the economy but so there are there have been failures I think one of the key differences, I think, is, you know, is is in relation to the economy. I think, um, you know, the, the SNP government under under over recent years, the, the Scottish economy hasn't performed nearly as well as, as the rest of the UK. Now, the UK economy, obviously, under the Tories has been as has, has, has crashed over recent months. But we do need, um, you know, a focus on on jobs and on creating opportunities for people and, and ensuring that we grow tax revenues in Scotland so we can reinvest them. And public services. Do you think Sturgeon's resignation is an indicator of a lack of confidence in the SNP's bid for independence? The the only you know obviously only the SNP can answer that. Um, to to be fair, if you were um, to speculate, well, I think I think um, I think we can all see at the moment, um, the SNP appear to be you know divided on how how they're going in terms of the independence question. Um, they also, you know, the opinion polls recently appear to show, you know, that there isn't, you know, there isn't a majority support for independence. There isn't a majority support for a referendum, and also, you know, more, more and more issues are coming up where the SNP government are facing um, criticism from 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 businesses and from people um, on on day to day issues, and also the delivery of public services. Um, so that, that 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 seems to me. Um, to be, you know, a very real, a, a very real issue at the moment, and 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 one that one that's going on. Obviously, the SNP need to sort out what they're doing going forward. But whilst they do that, the people of Scotland will, you know, face a choice, and we need to, you know, present that positive vision for what we want to achieve. And you know, we've got a conference coming up at the weekend in Edinburgh, and we'll be setting that out over the weekend. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Neil. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Before you go, uh, do you have a final message for our listeners on such a huge uh, news day in Scottish politics? Well, as I said before, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, recognise the the contribution that the first ministers made to Scottish politics, very long standing service, and I think you know it's only fair to recognise that, and particularly during the pandemic. Um, but you know, Nicola Sturgeon has you know announced that she's going now. Um, obviously, the SNP will have to, to elect a new leader. Um, they've got choices to make as to how they progress, but the people of Scotland have also got a choice now about a new direction, new ideas, a new way of working. And Scottish Labour stands ready to, you know, argue for the changes that people in Scotland need um, and try and win the confidence of people uh, going forward to deliver on that. Thanks for that, Neil. Cheers. Thanks, Ennis.
One thing that is without doubt in terms of Nicola Sturgeon's legacy was her inspiration to young women in Scotland and afar. Let's hear from two inspired political activists who need no introduction on this podcast, Sally Donald and Kelly Given, who I also spoke to earlier on. So, Kelly, what is your initial reaction to such a huge news day? I mean, I think for me, the first thing is shock. Like, I really wasn't expecting it yet. I, I know that, I mean, if I was Nicola Sturgeon, I would be tired as well, let's be honest. Like, she's put through a lot on a daily basis, especially after the pandemic. You can tell that she's tired. Um, anyone would be tired, but I really wasn't expecting it yet. And I, I think I'm still trying to process it a little bit. Like, I'm I'm really shocked that it happened when it did. Um. But I think the overarching feeling that I have is sadness. I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, for me, was the reason that I got into politics in the first place. She was the person that inspired me and the first kind of politician that I looked at and kind of seen myself reflected in. So for me, I'm I'm really sad that she's gone. And I, and I think we're going to struggle to find someone nearly half as good as her. Hmm. She ended up being a bit like Marmite, didn't she, Sally? What what was your thoughts were? What would you say your, her legacy was as a as a first minister? We certainly pointed to her attempt to tackle child poverty, which, to be fair, specifically, she's done very well in in Scotland. Uh, we pointed out that she guided us through COVID, which would be undoubtedly tiring, and the fact that she's an an inspiration to young women like the 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 pair of you. What what would you say? Or would you add to any of those legacies? Or yeah, I think her being a woman, and she's the first woman to have led any of the devolved nations, and she's just been incredible at that. I think it's interesting that people think she's Marmite. I'm not sure that a man in her position would be given that sort of title. I think she's done incredibly. The way she was so consistent throughout the COVID pandemic, I think, will definitely be one of her legacies, where we saw like England just completely flailing. Um, we had such like consistency and strong leadership from her. Um, during a time that was so um scary for people, so yeah, her the main thing I'll take away, I'll echo what Kelly said, is just how inspiring she is to young women. She's like she's the reason that I thought I I'm allowed to have a voice in politics. Before that, it was like old men I, who I just can't couldn't relate to in any way. So because of her, um, women like me and younger women will see a place and. Um, hopefully won't be put off by the levels of misogyny that she's faced and, yeah, will join us. You said uh, a man wouldn't get the same treatment. Is that a gesture towards Alex Salmond, their predecessor, who probably actually definitely didn't get nearly as much uh, abuse as Nicola Sturgeon did? No, I don't imagine he did. And I think it's just it's disgusting and it's a reflection of our society and the work we need to do to make um our space is safer for women in politics like if you're looking at the top leaders like looking at um Jacinda Ardern who stepped down they're stepping down because of they can't deal with the levels of vitriol that they're getting like something needs to change we can't just make this a space that's for men only it's been like so long um there's a reason Nicola was so consistently high in the polls and did so well and her leadership was so successful um, we need to reflect on that and um, yeah definitely the women's issue I don't there's something I don't know there's something in our society where we we don't like to see women who are successful we love to tear successful women down and it's kind of bleak it's, it's depressing actually. So we need to make spaces more protected for women Kelly do you think I mean she gestured in her speech that the short-term pressures want anything to do with her resignation do you think the GRR bill was the nail in the coffin? I mean, I, I don't think so, because I think she actually, and I wasn't the biggest fan of how she handled GRR. I'm not going to sit here and, you know, say that Nicola Sturgeon was completely unflawed and she, she didn't do anything wrong. I, I would have liked to have seen her take more decisive action on the GRR reform. However, I, I don't think that she's the type, and she said this in her in her um resignation speech today she said you know I've had to put up with a lot over the last eight years if I was going to crumble for anything I would have done it I, I haven't done it and it wouldn't cause me to crumble now it's, it's just not who she is so I don't I don't believe for a second that any one issue has forced her out the door I think what's happened is she's been under a, a lot of pressure for the last eight years it's a very demanding job but also on top of that she's had to deal with this sort of misogynistic vitriol all the time that must be exhausting for anybody um and, and i mean the, the the grr debate is exhausting for everybody mostly trans people themselves and 
Nicola Sturgeon has had to bear the brunt of a lot of abuse because of that. So I think it's probably one of a number of things, but I don't think that in any way is, is the reason that she's gone today. And you, you, you cite misogyny. Are you talking about the abuse that she is getting on social media, from, for example, from trolls? And do you think that's only because she is a woman or do you think there's something deeper to that? And what, what would you have... What would you like to have seen of her done in the GRR bill differently? Um, so I think the GRR bill, firstly, I would have just liked to have seen her act more quickly. I think there was a lot of delay. There was a lot of opportunity for these gender critical activists to, to stoke up loads of hatred because the Scottish government didn't take action fast, fast enough. And I think that's what I would have liked to have seen. I would have liked to have seen her come out much earlier than she did and 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 take action much earlier than they did. Um, and I would have also liked to have not seen more than one consultation I think you know we, we consulted on it that should have been the end of it that should have went through parliament and that's how it should have been done and it, it wasn't done like that unfortunately um so that would be my criticism there I think um in terms of like misogyny and things I think there are a number of reasons that Nicola Sturgeon has to put up with so much hate one of them being that she is a woman um, and like Sally said we live in a society where we don't like to see women succeed and particularly women in leadership roles we've seen it for centuries you know women in leadership roles in any capacity are torn down for their looks they're torn down for their tone they're torn down for all these other reasons that you just wouldn't see happening to a man um, and the the vast majority of the abuse that Nicola Sturgeon gets is very gendered and you can see it on Twitter um, I mean today you've seen alone like all these tweets saying you know ding dong the witch is dead and all these things you know it's just that is complete misogyny that's just total gender bias that's all that is and I don't think she deserves any of that and but I also don't think that Alex Salmon would have had the same when he then when he went there's no way he would have so I think there's that side of it but I also think the unionist side of this debate on independence are known to be very abusive I mean I know that when I tweet about independence or when I'm on a podcast or tv or whatever talking about independence the vitriol that I receive as someone with a platform that is minuscule in comparison to the First Minister, is intense. They, they tweet you relentlessly. So I think her support for independence and coupled with the fact that she's a woman in a leadership position really set her up for a, a lot of abuse that, that's quite unique to her and that not many people have to engage, have to put up with. Mm. Sally, she said it was a relentlessly difficult job. She said, I'm a human being as well. Uh, she said, virtually, the brutality in the job, it takes its toll on you, the physical and mental impact. That's something she really stressed in her speech. And she she asked herself, is carrying on right for me? Do you think we, do you think it was too soon for her? Do you think she made the right decision? No, I don't think anyone um, aside from her is the right person to make the decision on when she knows it's her time like if she doesn't have any more to give then that's she's the only person who can make that decision um and I think it takes a lot of guts to know when to step down rather than to relentlessly pursue on because of um a party or a government mm -hmm. that you want to lead I think her stepping down kind of sends that mm -hmm. message to people that we kind of forget politic uh, politicians are human and there's some there's something I don't see in any other job role where they're like showing their feelings or emotions is seen as a weakness. It should be a strength that we have a first minister who's like brave and courageous enough to say, I, I need to stop now. Um, but I mean, you're, you see already people like celebrating her going and like using that against her. And you just know that, um, if she had brought some of the emotion that we saw in her speech today, if she'd brought that like throughout um, her time as first minister, it would be used against her because for some reason we like to put politicians on this pedestal um, that is just unlivable. And if we want to make um, it like a long game, if people are doing this for their career, we need to understand that it's people are human and relentlessly attacking them day in, day out, it's going to take its toll no matter who you are. So She talked about yeah. a democratic outrage um, of the referendum being blocked uh, during this term. In, in terms of judging how she went about the independence campaign, Sally, how is there anything do you think she would have done differently? Do you think she's done it well? Or do you think, in the grand scheme of things, she's not actually made that much ground in terms of gaining independence? I mean, if you look at the polls, she's done better than any other leader we've had so far. We're in a stronger position now than we ever have been. And we have her leadership to thank for that. Um, so I think she's done a brilliant job. And I think the independence movement has taken a big hit by her stepping down. But 
um, we have to sort of respect that having a leader at the like taking your party forward when they don't want to be there or when they don't feel able to be there is not the right move for that party. So as much as we're all going to miss her and the independence movement will definitely miss her leading us, if she doesn't feel up for it in any way, then she's not the right person for it, unfortunately. So yeah, it's a shame. I, I think it would have been lovely for her um, standing down to come in an independent Scotland. Um, and I'm sure she's gutted about that too. But yeah, she knows it's, it's the right time for her. What about yourself, Kelly? Do you think she's done well in the in gaining ground for independence? Of course. I mean, this is the first time that we've seen consecutive polls in support of independence. I think she's achieved that goal. I think actually that's probably played a, a part in her, her um, decision to leave because she wanted to get us over the line with independence. And she I think she's kind of done that. She's kind of increased support to the point that it doesn't seem to be going backwards. And I think she feels that now is a good time for her to pass the baton on and get us over the line that way. So I think, she, I mean, and like Sally said, she's done better than any other leader. And I think what's hilarious is people like Alex Salmon coming out and saying like, Nicola Sturgeon hasn't done anything to get us independent. She's not taking us forward. I'm like, what, what did you do for independence? You literally lost the referendum and you want to sit here and lecture Nicola Sturgeon about how little she's done for independence. She's done more for independence than any other leader we've ever had. Um, and I think she should rest knowing that that was her work. Well, let's talk about Alex Salmon because that for me was mm -hmm. the starting point of the change in his her demeanour. I, you know, as I was saying to Sally just off there, off there just, just now, she looked indestructible before that that salmon case we had multiple polls in a row suggesting that independence would be coming as high as 59 percent at times and that you seen a change in her after that all of a sudden she was stuttering sometimes at first minister's questions she was less powerful in her demeanor sally do you think that was the turning point yeah i don't know but i think I think there's definitely there's like a difference between um, attacking someone's politics and disagreeing with them politically. That was so much an attack on her character that it's so hard to come back after that when people are attacking you for who you are and not just because they disagree with your politics. So um, I don't know if that was her like turning point, but that is it's such a challenging thing to come back from. And I think, yeah, I have so much respect for her going through that. Like that was just such an incredibly like like degrading kind of time for her mm. um, and for like survivors everywhere that like the grand scheme of that that the whole thing I just thought played out really horribly um, and did nothing to give people faith in systems that are meant to protect them um, yeah. and I think for her at the front of that it was like why did this become about Nicola Sturgeon, why, why once again is a woman being blamed for the actions of men? It's actually so depressing. Yeah, no, but it's interesting to pick up that point because I specifically remember Murdo Fraser asking Nicola Sturgeon to apologise for what had happened, basically, and she came back with emotion. You could see it in, in herself. She was upset at the question. She said, never will I apologise for the you know disgraceful actions of a man. And I think that... I opinion polls of her specifically were actually kinder to her after that because we've seen a more human side of Nicola Sturgeon. We were so used to, um, you know, to the point of being robotic. She was that robust in the way she was doing her job every single day out there for COVID. And the polls were actually kinder to her then. But that mental impact, I think, definitely had a part to play. Kelly, what do you think was the turning point? I think i definitely seen a shift in her there. I think there were a number of reasons for that. Again, this is just a classic portrayal of misogyny in politics you know this is an, a woman who had nothing to do with any of that and yet found herself in parliament being asked to apologize for the behavior of Alex Salmon so it was just a, a very classic example of how misogyny plays out and how even the you know the, the highest leader in, in Scotland isn't exempt from that and and will be subject to that misogyny as well and um, if not more so than other people so I think she, that was depressing to watch um, and I think you could see that it chipped away at her you could see that she was fed up at that point. And I think, you know, she'd been first minister for years already before that. She'd already been the subject of misogynistic abuse for years. And I think that was probably, it, it did a lot to push her. But I think on the other hand as well, she was also dealing with a man who was previously a, a good friend of hers, a, a friend who be totally betrayed her and embarrassed her in a, in a public platform. And I think 
she's dealing with that sort of personal grief as well like she had this this person who she at one time looked up to and who and at one time worked with very closely and and tr at one time trusted and she mm. all of a sudden was dealing with someone that she had she didn't really know she didn't it was like she all of her questions about all of her opinions about Alex Salmon were kind of thrown up in the air her friendship with Alex Salmon was thrown out the window he totally betrayed her there was a lot that she was dealing with at the same time and I think she handled that with such grace to the point that like I, I don't think I could have handled that with as much grace as she did and I think most people wouldn't be able to and um, so I think as much as it was a testament to her strength and I think it, it brought her it, it shone a really positive light on her I think in the end and it did you're right make her look more human and more ap appealing to the public but I think you could see that it destroyed her a little bit it, it, it clearly hurt her and on, on a personal level how can we not relate to that of course we can mm. So putting your politics aside, this question is for the both of you, because obviously there was a couple of questions today about the finances of the SNP being investigated by the police. You know, we had the mishandling of the uh, Alex Salmon uh, complaints, how justified they were aside. It obviously cost the public purse a lot of money. There's been a lot of money that's gone missing from the finances of the SNP. We've now uh, learned about this loan that Peter Murrell had to the tune of about 100 grand that Nicholas Sturden said you just she just completely forgot about or didn't know about. I, I don't know what her specific words were. How big do you think that is in this story? And how do you think we've got some sort of scandal that's uh, going to come from this? It's a question that both of you just open it up. Like, not to be like, look at, let's look at another party, but are we for real looking at this and just going to forget about the Tory party scandal? Like, do we like did we forget that they broke the law during lockdown we just sort of skimmed over that and it's like oh SNP here we like people just love to jump on the SNP and just like make these so I'm like I don't know the ins and outs of these I am a member of the party and I trust them and their leadership but like I just find it astounding the way like the media are just relentless in attacking it's like no matter what it is people love to like find faults in it and I think we need look at other parties and maybe also question them to the same level of scrutiny that our party face because they seem to manage to get off with breaking the law whereas over here it's like you do other things and and I'm not saying this isn't a big deal as well whether it's true or not but it's just it, the level of scrutiny we get in the SNP is just like none other compared to other parties it's, I'm assuming that's also feeding into part of the reason why Nicola's left because yeah. It's just relentless. But do you think that she's perhaps benefited from the grip that the independence movement has on people like yourselves um, with how passionate people are about the cause that perhaps things like these might get swept under the carpet when in other parties it might not be? Or Kelly, what do you think of that kind of assessment? No, I think actually, and from my assessment of Nicola Sturgeon, I think what we've seen from her over the last few years is that she's a person of deep integrity and honesty and I really would find it very difficult to believe that she has been involved in any sort of activity like that or aware of any activity like that I just don't believe it um, I mean her her integrity was put to the test with the Alex Salmon's trial and she came out on top she she came out in the way that I, I mean, I've trusted her the whole time. I've, I've always had faith in Nicola Sturgeon. I think she's a great leader. I think she's a great person. And I think she has a lot of human qualities that we lack in politics. And she's proven that time and time again. I don't believe for a second that a woman that has shown complete integrity and honesty and passion and genuine belief in what in, in the mission that she's trying to achieve is capable of you know hiding any sort of criminal activity. And I think actually the Crown Office said themselves that they they think that um, there's unlikely to be any criminal activity taking place. So, I, no, I don't believe any of it. And I do agree with Sally that the SNP are just constantly under scrutiny. They are looking, and I think this is partly because Nicola Sturgeon's leadership is so strong. They cannot penetrate her. They cannot get, get around her leadership at all because she's so great. And so they try every other tactic they have in the book because what else can they do? So I think actually Nicola leaving is, is a bit of a gift to them because she is brilliant and they can't match her, but it means they might stop picking holes in other parts of the party that just don't exist. Well, I mean, it, she actually said to herself that it's a time for us to reset Scottish politics. You know, it's it's no, you know, it's it's undeniable that she divided opinion in Scotland, but now opposition leaders can't stick any, you know, issue that they have on her. So do you think now there's a time for it to go, well, you can't be throwing these accusations everywhere because she's gone now? 
Sorry, that was to you, Kelly. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I honestly think that history will be kind to Nicola Sturgeon, and I think people will be kinder to Nicola Sturgeon now that she's not a threat to them. I think the, the reason that people are so intimidated by Nicola Sturgeon and so desperate to tear her down now is because she is such a threat to the these structures that they want to uphold. Um, she's a threat to the union, she's a threat to um, right-wing politics, she's a threat to everything that she stands against um, and she is a very big threat and they recognise her as being so. So the reason that they throw so much vitriol at her and, and try to hold her such a high standard is because they're terrified of her. So I think now that she's left, She's made a big enough impact now. She doesn't need to stick around. She can go and enjoy her life and like enjoy her nieces and nephews and read her books and do what she wants to do. I honestly think she's one of the most unproblematic people that we've got in politics and she should go and enjoy her life now. And I think people will let her do that. Sally, what made her so inspirational to yourself? Was it uh, her integrity or in what ways do you model yourself on Nicola Sturgeon? Oh, so many ways. She's just so like classy and so genuine I remember watching a documentary about her and um was talking about her upbringing and like she was the first woman in her family to go to uni and um so was I like me and my sister first ones to go on to like further education and it's like little things like that where it's like you just like relate to her and she just she's likable and she's human and she makes you think like that you can do it too. There are so many politicians, you just see nothing in them, but she's like um, a regular like person reflective of Scottish society that makes you think I can do that. And just, yeah, as a leader, she's so inspiring and she is inclusive as well. And that's not something we see very much. We have so much like divisive, hateful politics right now. And she's definitely someone I see who like brings other women up to her level. Whereas you see so many women almost like pull the ladder away from them when they see someone trying to, or like they see them as a threat. Whereas I don't see Nicola as that. I see somebody, I see her as somebody who like wants young women to do well. Um, so that's, yeah, that for me is definitely. But she, she was very much aware that, you know, that her time had come to an end, certainly how, how she felt inside. Do, do you think that the SNP needed this, a new, a breath of fresh air? Do, do you think this new leadership will come as an advantage to the SNP or a disadvantage, Sally? I don't think, I don't think the SNP needed it to be. I think, and everyone I've spoken to was not. Um, this is not conversations we anybody's been having, thinking that she needs to go or that she should go or that we want her to go. Nobody was ready for it, um, so it's a real shame. But I guess we just like it's it's happening, so we just have to take it, and we're getting someone else whether we like it or not. So we just have to hope that somebody new. I don't they won't live up to her in the same way but hopefully they can take their role and make it their own and continue um, the success we've got well Kelly you were very critical of our handling of the GRR bill independence in the latest poll sits at 37 percent do you think the SNP will benefit from a new leader I think yeah but I I mean I'm always up for a, a shake-up and a change and I think I think my, my position on this comes from a position of caring about Nicola Sturgeon you know if this is her time to go and she's had enough fair enough like take your time she's served this country well she served the party well she's been like relentless in her support for independence and her support for the party and young women and all the policies that I, I really care about she's she has supported them um and I think it go for it take your time now and and enjoy things so I'm happy for her and I'm happy that she's managed to go on her own terms I'm really glad that and I think this is a, another example of her leadership this is this is who she is and what she's about she's gone with her head held high with her integrity intact there's been no scandal there's been no drama she's just chosen this for herself and I'm so pleased for her that she's done that um, I think it's devastating for the SNP uh, I struggle to to pinpoint a name that could do her job any justice because she has just done such a fantastic job in my eyes that I, I don't know who's going to fill her shoes personally I would love to see Mary Black throw her hat in the ring I think of all people she has what it takes to really shake things up and really get people moving on the independence so what I would love to not see is another pale stale man coming in and taking over from a really like you know, the first female first minister, we're on a high and then we're going to just ship in another pale steel man. Like, I just don't want that. And it would really be uninspiring for me for that to happen. So um, I would like to see the, the office um, retain some diversity. <laughs> and 
I hope that it goes to someone that is genuinely radical and and is also I think a big figure behind uh, GRR reform because I think trans people deserve that I think this debate needs to come to an end we need to have someone in that position that is unequivocally in support of it um, and we need to put it to bed and I, I hope we get that as long as they're not pale and stale, that, that's the no. message. The message is clear. <laughs> well, let's look at let's look at the next leader, Sally. So I'm I'm looking at the bookies odds just now. Angus Robertson's at even money. Kate Forbes uh, next best at three to one. John Swinney, Hamza Youssef, and outsiders are Mary Black and Joanna Cherry. Who would who would you like to see out of those? Um, I'm trying to think. Who out of those, Angus Robertson. I think as I know, we've just said we don't want. He's pale and stale, though. <laughs> he was Kelly, but I, I think he's a brilliant speaker and I do find him really inspiring. Um, but to be honest, I, I know those are the favourites, but I think I think somebody's we're going to have somebody coming out of left wing here, like somebody maybe without the public profile. And I think that would be a good thing. I think all, all those yeah. names you said come with the baggage of like a profile and um all that comes with that so having somebody who's maybe sort of slightly further back who's been maybe just sort of taking things in and then is ready to just jump straight into that leadership without the sort of like the tiredness that comes with like having already put up with so much like so many of the those names have already dealt with so much hate they might not be coming into it with the same sort of um fresh eyes as someone else so I've got a few like favorites in mind Mary McCallan I think she, yeah, I I I rate Mary McCallan a lot. I think she's great. I also really love Jenny Goldruth. I think she'd mm. uh, she could be great. Um, what about you, Kelly? What junk? Oh, sorry, Sally. <laughs> oh, no, go ahead. What do you think, next leader? I'm sticking with Mary Black. I want Mary Black, <laughs> and I know that <laughs> I know that Mary Black doesn't really want it from what I've from what she said in the past, but. I think she'd be brilliant. And I think um, seeing a young person in that office would really be a radical change. And I think, I just think she's got what it takes. She scares them. She's fierce. She's unapologetic. She's left wing. She's a, she's like radical in her approach to independence. I think she's brilliant. Um, and she's a really a great example of what young people can achieve. I mean, she went for parliament when she was what, 19 and she was doubted beyond belief. And, you know, she was, she had all these, all this doubt was thrown at her just because she was 19 and look where she is now. I think she's really got what it takes um, and I'd love to see her. I agree with Sally. I, I really like Jenny Gilruth. I think Jenny Gilruth is someone who's very level-headed as well and sensible and someone that, and I think we need that in the office of the first minister. Um, I also, I think someone fiercely socialist and left wing someone like Ben McPherson who heads up the social security office just now I think he'd be great he is male he is pale but I think <laughs> like Sally said about Angus Robertson he's radical and he he's he's quiet you don't hear much from him but he has great ideas so yeah I'd like to see I'd like to see someone young I think that's my, my main thing I'd like to see someone young and someone radical uh, just if you haven't listened to our podcast with Mary Black yet, please do listen to that. It's absolutely hilarious the way <laughs> she describes her wife describing her. I won't give any spoilers, but <laughs> and so guys, before we go, first of all, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Before we go, I wanted to ask for you a couple of predictions. First of all, do you think the next referendum will be a de facto referendum? Uh, next election will be a de facto referendum. And how well do you think the SNP will do, uh, Start McKelly? I honestly don't know. Like, I think a lot of the support that we have in the SNP, and I think we shouldn't underestimate that, is because people value Nicola Sturgeon as a leader. They value that her stable presence as a leader. And I think a lot of them, uh, certainly after the pandemic, you know, she was very visible during the pandemic. She was on the TV every single day. And her stability got a lot of the country through a very challenging time. And I think she she's carried a lot of those votes herself. And I think her leadership carries a lot of those votes. So, I honestly don't know. We'll have to wait and see when the election happens. I do think there is a majority support for independence now. I think she's she's put the work in to achieve that. Um, and I have faith in the party. So we'll just have to, to go on to the election and, have, and see. Uh, politicians answer, honestly. You'll do brilliantly, Kelly, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> what, about you? what about you, Sally? Yeah, I, I it's, it's so hard to know. Like, I, you hope that people, that Nicola's done enough, like, groundwork that people within the party are sort of bought into the party as a whole and not just supporting her as a person obviously that is an element but you hope that that sort of trust for her then runs deeper um so I like to think yeah the SNP will con 
continue to be consistent in the polls. Um, whether it's de facto or not, I'm not sure. I, I, it doesn't. I don't like the idea of a de facto referendum. I can hear what the critics would say already, like, "Oh, that's not. You weren't voting for independence. You were voting." So, for me, it doesn't sit well with me. But honestly, I'll, I'll take independence in however form we can get it at this stage. <laughs> well, thanks, guys. SMP Sally Donald and Untribal's guest Kelly for the telly. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, that's all from us folks on our featured episode of the Sturgeon Special after such a monumental day in Scottish politics. If you could give us a follow on Twitter at Untribal News or Instagram at Untribal Politics, that would be greatly appreciated. If you fancy a blether with myself on the Untribal Podcast, give us an email at info at untribalpolitics.co.uk. Our content is by regular people for regular people. <laughs>